Welcome back, or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and in today's episode, we talk with Leah Yingling, a professional trail runner for Solomon based here in Salt Lake City, Utah. In addition to preparation for the Canyons 100K, her race analysis and expectations for the Western States 100 this coming June, we also talk about her multi-year odyssey for a golden ticket, how she's able to perform so consistently in such an unpredictable sport, what it's like having a life partner that is just as passionate about ultra running, the benefits of training in Salt Lake City, and much, much more. Let's get started. All right, Leah Yingling, great to have you here. Welcome to the Single Track Podcast. Thanks for having me here, Finn. I'm excited. I'm excited for a couple reasons. I mean, A, I think it's fair to say you're an ultra running geek like I am. We also have your golden ticket to talk about in this past weekend. And I don't know about you, but I'm riding a high after last weekend. It was fun to get the Salt Lake group together and to hang out at Michigan Bluff for a couple of days and then obviously partake in the race and celebrate. And so oh, I don't know, yeah, where, where, was... where are you at right now? Oh, sad, sad coming off the weekend, man. It was such a high. And then I've just, uh, went right back into work this week with probably the busiest work week I've had in a really long time. So a lot of me wishes we were all back in Michigan Bluff uh, watching you guys play Catan right now. <laughs> <laughs> I still have to sell you on Catan, by the way, at, at, on a future trip. Maybe we'll talk about it later in the podcast, but uh, maybe UTMB, maybe going out to Chamonix yeah. will be the next time we, we do this again. But anyways, welcome. It's great to have you here. We've been uh, wanting to do this for a while. You're a fellow Salt Laker. We'll definitely spend some time geeking out on that trail scene as well. But uh, I think the first thing I want to ask you, is it fair to say that pursuing a golden ticket has been a goal of yours for, for quite a while? Yeah, I would say it has. Um, I started seriously thinking about it back in oh, 2020, I would say. Um, and I signed up for Canyons 100K back then. And then that year it was canceled for COVID and then um, proceeded to run it last year in 2021 and then followed up this year in 2022. Um, and then obviously with Bandera earlier this year. So it's been something I've um, seen as my North Star for a little while now. And uh, one of those things I just wanted to take advantage of having good fitness one of these years and trying to nail a golden ticket race so I could get in. So uh, my husband, Mike, ran Western States in 2013 and yeah. chased some cutoffs. So I was hoping I could represent the household a little bit better than he did. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I'm curious about there is what does it feel like to hit such a major milestone? And then what happens from there? Like, is it easy for you to set new goals and to create higher standards for yourself as soon as you do something that is like one of the biggest pinnacles, at least on the American scene of the sport? Uh, yeah, I still don't believe it. <laughs> I was uh, chatting with somebody yesterday. I said, it just doesn't seem real. I think um, I've had it as a goal for a while and it just seemed slightly unattainable for a while there. Um, and then after having a near miss at Bandera this year, I was like, oh man, maybe it's just not meant to be. So kind of reframing for Western states. It's exciting. Um, but also, I, I don't know. It's it's fun to think about Western states as a big goal, but I also have a lot of other things that I want to do in the sport. So I think for me, I really enjoy keeping larger goals in mind. It helps motivate me and helps me uh, training healthy and uh, mm. happy. So looking forward to that. And yeah, it's going to be a fun summer. Awesome. Well, we're definitely going to go into the weeds on Western States this June and definitely do some analysis on canyons. But first, I want to get into your background a little bit. I actually, I've known you now for five or six years, but I don't actually know how you got into the sport. So for myself and any listeners that, that don't know your intro to ultra story, uh, what is it? Yeah. So um, I'll start a little bit younger. So I started running when I was in seventh grade. I am one of uh, three girls in my family. I have a twin sister and then an older sister that's a year and a half older than me. And then another sister that's a year and a half older than her. So we are all in high school at the same time together. Uh, and we all ran cross country together. So we were uh, four sevenths of our varsity cross country team. We were, I was, we were ninth, ninth, 10th and 12th grade. So it made for a really fun, fun freshman year cross country season. And we were able to make it to the state championships that year, which is still one of the highlights of my athletic career, even though I was a very, uh, very average high school cross country runner. But um, 
after high school, I didn't pursue any college uh, track or field or cross country or anything, but I did run um, just in my spare time at college. I went to Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh mm. and was training for my first marathon in college. Uh, while I was there, my two sisters, they went to the Naval Academy, my two older sisters in Annapolis, Maryland. And while they were there, they had a marathon team. It was like a club team. And then they also, um, that club team kind of morphed into uh, an ultra marathon team of sorts. So I learned about ultra marathons largely from my two older sisters. Wow. Um, one had run a JFK 50 while she was in college. And then my oldest sister, Shannon, uh, ran Bighorn 50 sometime when she was in college as well. So I learned about ultras from them, but didn't really uh, dip my toes in it until a few years after college when I was uh, living in Washington, D.C. I kind of just had a goal of, hey, I want to run a 50K. Um, got involved with the Virginia Happy Trails running community while I was living in Bethesda, Maryland at the time. Yeah. Uh, and conveniently, right around that same time, I met my now husband, Mike, who also went to the Naval Academy of my sisters, was on the marathon and ultra marathon team. And I think when I had met him, he had run well over 70 marathons and ultra marathons. So he was like the perfect guy to meet if this was my goal. <laughs> <laughs> so our first summer together, we, um, we were dating long distance from Bethesda, Maryland to Virginia Beach. And we'd meet yeah. halfway in the middle and do a race nearly every weekend with me doing 25K. And then he'd usually do the 55, the 50K or the 50 mile or something. Um, so that was, uh, that was my initial start. I did my first 50K. I think it was one week before he deployed for the first time in our relationship. So it was kind of one thing that he wanted to get me to the start line of before he left me for seven months. That's a fun fact. I did not know that the Naval Academy had an ultra running team. I, I'm familiar with um, our mutual friend, Rudy Rudemiller here in Salt mm -hmm. Lake, and then Darren Thomas. I know they went to Virginia Tech, and Virginia Tech is famous for having that type of team as well. But I didn't know that the Naval Academy did. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it's largely a marathon team. And then they morphed. I think a few of them kind of morphed into the ultra team while uh, Mike and my sister Kara were there. Uh, I wonder if it still exists because that's a pretty cool thing to have. At this point, given that you're into the ultra scene, do you intentionally move to Salt Lake because you're now seeking out like really close access to trails and like sort of like that whole scene as close as possible? Yeah, that was uh, part of the reason. I was applying to grad school back in 2015, 16, and I had nine schools that I was applying to. And this was also conveniently the, the time when Mike was deployed. So I had these schools listed that I had nine of them and just said, like, what do you think? Here are my, uh, here's what I like about this program and here's why I like it, et cetera. And I said, just let, rank yours based on location. Um, so eventually after some hard decision-making, Utah was always his top decision, but um, it ended up being a good grad school program that I found out here as well. And a large motivation for us was uh, just the work-life balance that is in the Mountain West. I was applying to a program in like Boston and Chicago and then Pittsburgh and then also like Portland, Seattle, and then out here in Utah and a couple California schools. But there was something about the work-life balance and how much people just prioritize being active and following their passions uh, in mm -hmm. the outdoors here in Utah. So I would say I didn't really move necessarily for like ultra running or running at that time, but it was more about just the lifestyle in general. And I would say like wholeheartedly, it's the best decision I've ever made. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I'd love to get your take on this. I feel like in our scene, Boulder, Colorado, Flagstaff, Arizona, Portland, Oregon, Mill Valley, they get all the love as these centers for trail runners, the meccas of our sport. And I know that people have respect for Salt Lake, but I feel like it's still, to some extent, flies under the radar. And I'm wondering if yeah. you have any thoughts on that. And then also what you think is so great about it. I don't know if it's going to be flying under the radar after all your podcast episodes, Finn. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, yeah, I feel a lot of ways about it. I do think it has flown under the radar for many years and it has been a hidden gem. I think it's getting more popular these days, which is really exciting. I think one of the things that I love about it is, um, is proximity to the mountains and just the variety of mountains that you get here. Like there's an amazing seasonality to the trails. Um, like I always have my seasons of being in particular pockets of the Wasatch um, I like even on the roads, like I have my season of the roads in the winter. So I think not as many other mountain towns can really boast that variety that we have here. 
Um, Cause I know you can relate, like we have the foothills that you can be in most of the winter. You can even go and do Grandeur Peak in the winter. It gets packed out. You can do Lake Blanche, which is up at around like 8,000 feet. Um, but then, you know, you have your Olympus and your Hughes, your BST, your Corner Canyon, just there's so much good stuff. And then we also have the desert that's three and four hours away. So I don't know. The variety is hard to beat. And as a working professional, Salt Lake City in general is just an amazing place to be for having a great job and having good access to like an inter international airport. So I think that has a leg up too on some of the other uh, smaller mountain towns that ultra runners seem to flock to. That's one of the best answers I've ever gotten for <laughs> why Salt Lake is so great. I couldn't agree more. And right now, uh, for listeners that aren't familiar, we are in prime foothill season here in Salt Lake. And I think one of the things that uh, I'm so anxious about right now is I need to recover from canyons because <laughs> I need to go run on the Bonneville Shoreline Shore right now because it is like peak green right now. It's you know? so good. <laughs> so uh, one, one of the costs of doing a late April race, I suppose. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, maybe we transition a bit here into uh, canyons. And the first thing I want to ask you about that is, how do I put this? Every time I see you race, you're like a model of consistency. You always seem to just show up and perform and just rise to the occasion. Um, I'm really curious, what do you generally attribute that level of consistency to? Yeah, um, so I, I'm a big planner uh, for races and planning in a variety of ways. So I usually have a really good understanding of where I'm at fitness wise coming into a race. I'm coached by Megan Roach and I've been coached by her for, I think going on five years now, five, four or five years. Um, and she, I mean, she's my biggest fan and she's always my hype woman. Uh, but she always gives me an idea of where my fitness is and she has a lot of belief in me in general. So, uh, she definitely enables me to think about myself as like a high level performing athlete. And that gives me a lot of confidence going into races about knowing where my fitness is at. But also um, when I talk about planning, I also am really interested in like making a race plan for a race, planning out my aid station, my nutrition, things like that. I come from a big science background. Um, my job is in science. And I think if you're really calculated in a race, you can have great success. And I think that's a piece of the puzzle that a lot of these fast elite ultra marathoners, especially like younger athletes who are just coming to the sport, they mm. seem to overlook pretty often um, because it's not just about fitness. And I will tell everybody this, and I always do. It's like, I am never the fastest person on the start line. I'm never the person with the sexiest training block, but I really, really like to plan for a race and plan for everything that can go wrong and everything that can go right. And really just knowing where my fitness is at that moment in time. So I can pace myself appropriately. So mm. it's something I really enjoy. And I, I love to talk to people about it too, because I think in, for an area of an improvement for a lot of athletes, if they're struggling with going out hard in a race and bonking and not eating well and not knowing why their race is falling apart at mile 40 of 60, I think there's so many gains that can be made by just making a plan and sticking to it, actually. Like making the plan is a piece of it, but actually sticking to the plan is uh, easier said than done. I think I'll ask you in a second about what the plan for Canyon Loose looked like, but just one comment. I just had Rod Farbert on the podcast who also punched a ticket at Canyons and very similar to you, just a really big believer in the logistical side of the sport. And mm -hmm. he showed me a great stat. He's like, you know, look, I raced Bandera like you did a couple months back and narrowly missed a golden ticket there. And I spent like 15 minutes at the aid stations. I reduced that by five minutes at, at Canyons and I got a golden ticket by 30 seconds. So like oh that stuff, God, that's so stuff, good. That I know stuff me and matters. Rod need to talk about this sometime. <laughs> you guys are two peas in a pot. He thinks about the sport in the same way. It's fascinating. Um, but actually one more thing I want to ask you there, and this is, I wasn't planning to ask this, but you mentioned that you've worked with Megan Roche for five years, which is so cool. I've had the same coach for five years as well, Ryan Gelfie. And do you see any specific benefits in working with a singular coach for, for that many years? Cause I know there's a lot of other athletes that, you know, might change coaches year in, year out. They just don't have that similar long-term relationship. What are some of the benefits you see there? Man, she just knows me at this point, um, which is really great. And I, I feel a lot of accountability with her, but she also provides a lot of grace. I'm somebody that I stick largely to my training plan, but 
I have a pretty crazy work schedule half the time. So things are all over the place and she adapts with me, which I really like. Um, and I think I've been at so many different seasons of my running career and have different goals at different times that there'll even be, you know, a certain year, a certain few months out of the year where my training is entirely different than it ever has been before. Um, Mm -hmm. so I don't always, it's not the exact same thing all the time. And I know her coaching style is always evolving as well. So I think because of how I've evolved as a runner and how she's evolved, even as a coach over the last five years, it makes for a really nice match. Um, and we're both right around the same age, both into science, um, both have like similar life and athletic goals. So it's just worked really well for me and I don't plan on changing anytime soon. That's a great point. We always talk about the evolution of the athlete and somehow the evolution of the coach, you know, we don't always recognize that that kind of falls by the wayside in in the conversation. It's cool to know that, you know, at the same time you're leveling up. So is your coach. Absolutely. It's pretty cool. Um, awesome. Well, okay. I, I want some of the details on how you plan for canyons. Like what, what do, cause I saw you the night before the race, like you had like your packs all, all spread out, you know, uh, yeah, Ziploc bags of nutrition for chain station. Can you talk a little bit about like logistically how you plan for the race and, and how you just take care of that side of the sport so that you can just run on race day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for canyons this year, I ran canyons last year and I finished sixth place in about just over 11 hours. Um, so my goal this year coming to canyons was to get a golden ticket. was to hopefully finish in the top three. Um, and I thought in my mind that running 10 hours and 30 minutes would get me a golden ticket. Um, turns out 10 hours and 30 minutes probably wouldn't have gotten you a golden ticket. I think 1031 was like fourth and fifth place. Um, so last year, the golden tickets, um, I, Beth Pascal ran right over 10 hours. Abby Hall ran, I think, right around 1035 with Emily Hoggood, just mm. probably right around 1040. Um, so I think you saw me the day prior. Abby Hall's race from last year was what I was looking at. Like yeah, her race yeah. was what I wanted to run. I remember chatting with her afterwards and like she had a phenomenal race day. Like she put her head down. She worked hard from the start, but she didn't just work hard from the start. She worked hard and then progressed and worked really hard and moved up and ran really strong in the second half of the race. So my goal coming in this year was to be a little less um, relaxed like I was last year in the first half of the race um, and run a little bit more like Abby did, more uh, serious, more a little bit more persistent, mm. um, and then turn it on in the second half if I had some legs. And uh, that was the racing, like Strava side of things. That's what I wanted yeah. to do. And then in terms of uh, nutrition and aid stations and things like that. Something I incorporated at Bandera for the first time in a race was doing pack swaps with Mike as my crew at aid stations. And it's incredible. It's my new favorite thing. And I don't know if you saw our photo from Gorge when he did a pack swap. I saw the video. I saw the video. me into one, but I mean, we're getting pretty good. <laughs> but so this is something I told him this race was, I want to be serious. I want to be quick and I want to be efficient. And you know, Mike, he's really into taking photos. Mm. And I even told him, I was like, I don't even care if you don't get a photo of me. Uh, like crewing is the A goal. Uh, so, I mean, thank God for Mike. He's an amazing crew. He knows everything about me, knows everything I need. But I mean, we had it down to a science. So I prepared a pack for him to give me. And then I prepared like a note card with gels of how he was going to fill my next pack that he was going to give me at an aid station. So as you know, at Canyons, there's not actually a lot of crewing spots. So we had one at driver's flat, which was probably, I think, 12-ish miles into the race. And then um, we got to see our crew again at Forest Hill and then at Michigan Bluff. Is that it? Mm -hmm. I think just three times. Um, So we don't get to see crew very often. So that was just going to be a couple pack swaps for me. Um, And that was my main plan there was to be really efficient with my aid station time. um, Since it worked really well for me at Bandera being that efficient doing the pack swap. But uh, then also try to stick as best I could to running a similar race to Abby Hall last year, which in my mind meant, you know, running my own race early on and then ideally moving up and just moving strong the best I could in the second half. Yeah. Well, you just reminded me towards the end of the conversation, I I do want to have a conversation about, uh, you know, the influence of a partner that's as invested in the sport as you are. (laughs) And I should also ask you this, what else, besides the fact that maybe you're more aggressive in the first half of the race, what else did you learn from racing canyons last year that you applied to this race? I learned a lot about the course. I mean, it's a tough course in the second half and it's actually quite punchy 
and cruisy and rolling at times in the first half. So mm. you can lose your legs pretty well um, and kind of blow your race in the first half if you run it a little bit too aggressively. Yeah. Um, I think last year helped in knowing like just how long you were without crew and without aid stations at the end of the race. And like it gets warm. So this year I planned on having like an ice bandana and ice and um, cooling myself off when I needed to. Mm. I didn't do that last year. And I don't think we actually like needed it last year. would have been nice maybe at a time or two. Um, but this year I actually, I benefited from doing that. And I'm very happy I planned for that because I don't know if everybody necessarily did that. Um, and then another thing was just mostly with my electrolytes. I think last year when I came from Utah to California, I wasn't expecting to need a higher level of electrolytes in the race. Um, I yeah. didn't think it'd be very humid, but I think the humidity last year actually played a factor in how I felt a little bit later on. So this year I was trying to be a little bit more diligent about that stuff. Okay, cool. Very cool. Well, given that you were going to be a little bit more aggressive this race, were you holding on to a delicate position somewhere in the top five or the top 10, or, um, was it somewhat similar to last year where, uh, you were starting out a little bit behind and then making your way up to the front of the pack over time? Yeah, I would say last year I was definitely holding back early on. Um, and then I didn't move up into like 12th, 10th to 12th until Michigan Bluff or so. Um, but I felt last year like I was really actually holding back. Mm. This year, I felt like I was running my own race and running exactly what 100K effort in my mind was. Yeah. Uh, something I check in with myself early on in a race is when I'm running up a climb. I ask myself, is this how you'd be running this climb if it were at mile 55? Yeah. If it's not, I slow down a little bit. Um, if it is, I'm like, okay, cool. Keep going with it. Um, so I felt like I was actually running my race and like racing 100K from the gun this year. However, racing 100K within myself still put me at, I think I was 12th place or so coming into the first aid station. And I think moved my way up in by Forest Hill to about eighth, maybe eighth place. And then by Michigan Bluff, I moved into fifth place, which was pretty much exactly where I wanted to be because I knew if I was in fifth place in Michigan Bluff, I knew that I have climbing legs and I know how mm. the course goes. And I think I was closing some gaps at that point that I knew if I just kept doing my thing, that those gaps would start to decrease. I think you already answered this, but I'll ask it in a different way. Where do you get the confidence to to hold back early on? Is it just by, by running within yourself and not focusing on race dynamics? And just, again, I think you mentioned like treating a climb like it's mile 55, even if you're at mile 15, is that where you get the confidence from? Because I think a lot of people intellectually understand I need to slow down early on, but like they just see what's unfolding in front of them. They're like, I need to be there for that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, David Roach made a really good point in his podcast this week when um, they were discussing different racing mentalities and I think where I get my confidence is the fact that it's worked really well for me before. So I've raced this way in several races and I've never had a bad race uh, racing with this mentality because his argument was what if Jasmine raced as aggressively as she did that day? And then like it didn't work out for her. Would she ever then try that race approach again? Or for example, like that's a great maybe point. Now she tries this race approach in every race and I mean, maybe there's a time that it doesn't work out. So I think it's similar to that in that respect where I've had many races now where I've raced the way I have and it's worked out very well for me. So I think until it fails me, I'll probably keep, keep doing that. And then you're not afraid to experiment either, right? I think you mentioned um, offline that you did try something relatively different at this year's Bandera. So you, you are like experimenting here and there, but there is like a core framework. To yeah, that. 100%. Um, I did race a little bit differently at Bandera this year. And like, I do not regret it whatsoever. It was a great experience. And I went out a little bit harder than I normally do. Um, and I think where my training was at and like Megan has been like preaching fatigue resistance to me. Um, I think like where my fatigue resistance was at, I mean, it was going to be a great day if, uh, all things stayed together that day. So I don't think even racing aggressively worked any differently for me. And like, I would say a gorge recently. So Caveat is I've, I've raced a lot this spring and I think that helps me know where my fitness is at and know what's an appropriate effort level for various race distances, because I'm very familiar with 
what 50K effort is, what 40 mile effort is, what six hour effort is. So I'm able to kind of fine tune um, what each race effort should be. Um, so I would say at Gorge recently, which was a 50K, I raced a little bit more aggressively than I normally do. So it's been really fun just to figure out how much is too much, how little is too little. And almost like with every race, I'm tweaking just a little bit. And Mike put it a nice way the other night. He's like, with every race, it's almost like you're defining the line a little bit better as to like what you're capable of. And I think that's a really beautiful way of thinking about it. Oh, I got to write that down. That's good. <laughs> um, okay. If you don't mind, let's dig into the last 10 miles of the race because we just talked about Bandera. You were in a very similar position in the last 10 miles at Bandera. You were firmly in a golden ticket position. So maybe we compare and contrast what you were thinking at that moment versus your frame of mind at Canyons. Were you as confident? Were you more confident, less confident? Walk us through it. Yeah, this is a funny scenario because um, I was actually more confident at Bandera. Um, like I had, there was this time, so at Bandera, Ellie Pell and I came into the 50K together. And then on the next like six to seven mile stretch, I think I pulled away from her probably by about like six minutes or so. Um, and then maybe I had as much of, as an eight minute gap on her at one point. Okay. Um, and then I picked up Mike as a pacer and we just kept chatting with each other when he was pacing me with 20 miles to go. Um, he said, there's no way anybody else is running as strong as you are right now. And I mean, that's confidence inducing to hear that from somebody who's seen some other runners come through and like knows how I race. And I was moving just so well in that moment. And he's like, if you keep doing what you're doing, like you're going to find yourself on the start line of Western States this year. And I let myself think about that for like two miles. Um, and then, yeah, I made some really grave errors with my nutrition that day, which led my last 10 miles to just go to literal shit. But, and then Ellie <laughs> just scooped me right up. And um, yeah, so, so then I was like, oh my God, why did I ever even think about Western States that day? So then we get to Canyons and I think with 10 miles to go, I had maybe, it was a really fun dynamic actually, if. I think about the Deadwood aid station. So Deadwood one, as you know, like we roll into, we do this like five mile loop. Um, yep. and then you leave it Deadwood two again. And that's when you have about like in my race is about two hours to the finish from there. So when we close the Deadwood loop, um, Aroa, the Spanish woman who ended up in third, she left that aid station first. She was about two minutes ahead of me. And I think Laudia and I had just started running together. So then it was Aroa, Two minutes back was me and Laudia. And then as we're leaving Deadwood 2, we're coming um, down that stretch as Sarah Beale is like, we're, we're passing her, mm. we're high-fiving her. So she's a minute behind us. So at, with like 10 miles to go, we've got three, four, and five within three minutes of each other. So really fun racing, especially because that was the race for the golden ticket it was, I mean, the few of us right there. So I felt pretty confident leading there. I think I had just closed a little bit of a gap on Laudia. Um, I think she was about eight minutes ahead of me from Michigan Bluff. So I closed that and I was running with her and we just had such a great time. She is the most cheerful, wonderful human. And I mean, 50 miles into a race, she's still just like wishing me the best of luck and like hoping for the best and just filling with me with so much energy. So sharing those miles with her were just amazing. Um, and then at one point she's like, okay, I'm going to let you go. Um, but I still didn't know where Sarah was behind me. And I could see Aroa always just like one minute ahead of me. And I just could never really close the gap. Um, so with about a mile and a half to go, I um, I passed Aroa into second, to go into second. But I still had no idea where Sarah was behind me. Mm. So Sarah is a like 241 marathoner. She's so fast. And I know she just has raw leg speed. And I've been like singing her praises all week, but for somebody yeah. who trains in Ohio, she just absolutely crushed this race. Like, oh my God, I, she climbed amazing. And I know she wasn't having too much fun on the downhills, but like, you should be terrified when Sarah Beal is behind you with like five miles to go in a race. And I was, That's because great. I had no idea how she could turn it on later in the race. Um, so I would say even after I passed Aroa, I still had no idea what was going to happen behind me. Um, so I did not think about Western States until I crossed the finish line this time. And I was not confident in my golden ticket until I crossed the finish line this time. But I think that made it even more joyous uh, because of kind of the kind of failed result at Bandera, but it just made it that much sweeter this time. So cool. Well, now that you've had a couple of days to process the race, 
obviously with every race that comes and goes, we, we learn something. Are there any big takeaways for you from canyons that you're applying to Western States, but I guess just to your ultra running career in general? Hmm. Part of me wonders if I could race more aggressively. Um, but then part of me doesn't want to toy with that idea. <laughs> I, I've always been a little fearful of like, if I raced a little bit too aggressively, what could happen? Um, but like in this race, for example, I think if I would have ever went out with Jasmine, that could have ended pretty poorly. But I do, I do think about that a little bit. Like I'm very happy that like, everything came together on race day. I, I had a little bit of a different nutrition plan than I normally do. And that'll definitely be something that I continue to take with me to Western States, because I think this is probably the best my nutrition and electrolyte and water and hydration mm. had ever been in my life. And I normally have actually really good hydration and nutrition. So I think being able to like actually perfect that was pretty incredible and confidence inducing going into a hundred miler like Western States. Would you ever, um, and maybe you've done this, so, so forgive me for not doing good enough research, but do you have experience, uh, going out with the lead pack in these mar marquee races? And if not, is, is that something you would consider trying in future races? Like for example, at Western States, or do you see a similar strategy unfolding there where you like work your way into the top 10 or top five? Yeah, for example? I don't actually like I, um, if I'm in a competitive race, I tend to go out with like the second pack of sorts, like at Trans Grand Canaria, the 62K there, there was two women that went off the front. And then I went out with like the chase pack at Bandera, same thing. Marianne Hogan went off the front. I went out with the chase pack yeah. and then Gorge, Keely and Taylor went out and then I, I was the chase pack. So yeah, it's funny. I have never, unless it's like I'm running a local race around here. Yeah. I don't often like either lead the charge or go out with the leaders of the charge, but it's something I'm interested in. I think I'm just a baby. <laughs> well, I mean, you did just get a 40 minute PR at, uh, at Cannons <laughs> in addition to the golden tickets. So, I mean, I think it's impressive. Yeah. It's hard to not stick to something when it works well for you. I would say that much. I think this is a good time to talk about Western States. I'm curious, uh, what your expectations are there first off. Um, so first and foremost, my goal is to get there healthy. Um, I think you and I both have a couple mutual friends, uh, Anthony Costales and Jimmy Elam, who both got golden tickets at Canyons in yes. uh, a couple of the past years. And neither of them were able to line up for Western States due to injury and mm. what have you. So I think just complete a goal right now is to get to the start line healthy. I normally do a pretty good job of recovering and listening to my body and just not overdoing it in general with my training. Uh, so I, I look forward to getting to the start line healthy and I think I can do it and I have faith in me. Um, but aside from that, I, my goals for Western States will definitely be a top 10 finish um, and running just a smart race and having a blast. It'll be my first time out there and just really excited to soak in all the energy um, and like, it was funny. We were, Mike and I had chatted about canyons a couple weeks back. He's like, like canyons is the A race. Western States will be the celebration. And now that Western States is the celebration last night, he's like, I mean, this could be an A race too. <laughs> so I think it'll be an A race for me, but I think um, I'm not going to go too crazy with my training between now and then, because I think what I've, I've raced a good bit this year. So I just want to kind of keep it consistent. You know, it makes me wonder, uh, we're talking about how great Salt Lake is and how much variety there is here. Where do you think you're going to spend the majority of your time training in the Salt Lake area for this race and why? I was thinking about this today. Um, so something that Western States has a lot of is downhill and surprisingly at canyons, um, my downhill legs were one of the, they were the strongest they've ever been in, in my life. Like I felt like I could run downhill all day. So I'm very excited about that. Um, but I think a lot of that has to do with um, just the mountains that we train on all winter around here. So I was thinking today I'll probably do a fun day on grandeur um, and then probably like follow that up with just like a runnable day. So I do a lot of back to back long runs in my training or like a, yeah. my peak week is usually like a back to back to back long run. Um, and I really like to do different types of runs when I do that. So have one day be mountainous and then have the other day be just more running. So I might be on pipeline or like yep. corner Canyon or something like that, but something where I'm actually running for three hours straight and not hiking at all. Yeah. Um, so I think I'll probably structure some things like that, get on some of the foothills in the heat yep. and um, probably follow that up with some, some Mill Creek Canyon too, because a lot of our stuff up high doesn't exactly become available until Western States usually. 
I don't know if you were thinking this too, but when I was about halfway through the Canyons course this weekend, I was thinking to myself, I wish I did more of the, uh, the Draper Alpine road climb and descent. I feel like that mimics the course so well. That is my favorite. I have like five favorite hill repeat hills and that's, that's one of my favorites. It's just so good. Um, and I even told myself before Canyon training, I think I was chatting with Caleb about this. Yeah. I was like, one of my long runs I'm going to do is going to like end at the top of the Draper Alpine road. It's going to simulate canyons. Great. And I, I never did it, but I think that's a great place to do some training just because it's that good, like 300 to 400 feet a mile for Perfect. a couple miles there. I got to tap into your knowledge of the sport here and, and just being a super fan. What's your take on the current uh, women's field at Western States given, I mean, I know that we're, you know, two months out and a lot can change on that start line, but um, what's your initial take right now? Oh, it's exciting. Um, so I saw like Elza McDonald's on that list. Uh, Ruth Croft, who did amazing last year. She's back. Katie Asmith, she was top five last year. Mm -hmm. She's back and she just didn't start canyons because she's gearing up for Western. Um, and then Keely Hunninger is going to be really interesting too, because you could really tell that she's taking it seriously this year and just like all eyes and all training focused on Western States. Mm. So, you know, when Keely shows up for a race that like she's ready and she's trained and she's gunning for a win. So yeah. I think she's going to be really exciting to watch just because she's really, really focused on it this year and trying to just like perfect it and get everything right. So I think that's going to be a fun race. Um, man, there's just so many other fun women on there, like Anne-Marie Madden, Marianne Hogan. Oh, my God. Just the list goes on and on. Jasmine's going to be insane to watch if she, like, yeah. if you think about the fact that she broke Beth Pascal's course record at Canyons and then Beth won Western States last year. So I don't know. I know that, like, weather determines a lot, but what, in your mind, what time do you think it's going to take to run into the top 10? this year at Western States for the, for the, oh man, field. last year's was fast. Um, and then like, I, I know like Corinne Malcolm, she's a very, very solid at being top 10 at Western States. And yeah. I think the year that she, the years that she's been top 10, it's usually been right around 20 hours for the women. Okay. Um, I think this year it's going to probably be a little faster than that. I'd say somewhere in the 19s, like probably like 1930 or so or less, probably 19 hours, but who knows? Like, I don't know. The weather seemed pretty, ideal and last year and the conditions or the women were just all really fast too. So I don't even know what 10th place was last year. I know it was Casey. Wow. Yeah. I'm excited. Ja Jasmine, Keely, yourself. It's going to be a really cool field. I'm really excited for it. Um, yeah, it's going to be awesome. We'll do a preview episode probably a week or two before, uh, before the race, we might have to get you on the pod again to, oh, uh, to do some analysis. Nerd out on everybody. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> a couple more questions I have for you. The first is, you know, I know you mentioned earlier in the conversation that, getting to Western States via golden ticket was a big career goal. Um, I know it's tough to forecast out like what the next couple of years look like, but are there any other, you know, outside of Western States, uh, big career goals you have in the sport? Like, what do you think comes next after this? Yeah, I, um, I'm signed up for UTMB this summer, so I will probably adjust that if <laughs> like, depending on how I feel after Western States and whatnot. Um, but UTMB is definitely a goal and full loop. I know you and I have chatted a little bit about it, but I think the Western States UTMB double can be done um, and it can be done well. It just needs the right approach. Um, so I'm excited to have that as my big summer goal, but I, I'm really excited to ideally have one international race a year or so um, and get into more competitive fields. I would say, I think that's part of the reason I'm having so much fun this year is it's really my first, maybe first or second year, really diving into more competitive fields. And I think it's allowed for me to kind of step up my game a little bit and be more aggressive and just run against women that I've been looking up to for so long, because it really does bring you to a next level of sorts. And I think that's really exciting to see just where my potential can be if I just keep pushing myself, keep having fun and kind of seeking out competition and races that really excite me. So we went to, um, Trans Grand Canaria this past year and yeah. Mike did the long race and I did the 62k. So I think that's a race that I would love to do the full, full length one, one of these years. Um, but yeah, I think I, the longer, uh, international mountain ultras, they seem exciting. And then if I could ever get into hard rock, that'd be an awesome goal. Just to comment on the UTMB Western double. I also a hundred percent agree that it can be done. And 
I'll make a bold prediction. I think you are the perfect case study of an athlete in our sport that could do it really well. I think it takes a constant stoke for the sport and then obviously racing intelligently. And I think you have both of those qualities. And so, um, oh, thanks, Finn. Yeah, I think last year you see Emily Hoggood did it. Um, she got seventh at yes. Western States and then tenth at UTMB. And I think she and I are pretty similar runners. I, I mean, agree. Her stoke level is also very high in the sport. She's awesome. Uh, but it, I think it can be done if you like. You just got to survive UTMB. And I think you know. I think sometimes people's uh, mental mental capacity for UTMB sometimes probably tanks halfway through the race, if not three quarters. One topic I want to bring back up, you, your husband, Mike McMonagall, also a very talented runner in the sport, maybe even a more talented photographer. He's at a lot of these races, uh, creating awesome content, capturing just some of the coolest elements of the sport. What is it like having somebody, having a partner that is just as stoked about the sport as you are, that shares that exact same passion? It's kind of rare in my opinion. Yeah, it's the best thing. I think it's it brings racing and training just to a new level. It's so exciting and it's the thing that we love to do the most together. So it's a great way to spend time and then also catch up with your partner. Um, I was chatting with him about it the other day, but there's definitely like, there's definitely pros and then there's definitely cons. For example, um, he's been injured for a while right now. So it's really tough for me who I train with people. I mean, 90% of the time probably. And he's my favorite running buddy. So losing him in like my buildup to canyons and mm. like a lot of my big peak training has been, it's really tough when your partner's dealing with injury. And I always tell people, I, because my motivation is 100% tied to Mike's run, Mike running yeah. as well. So <laughs> I always tell people when Mike's injured, I'm injured because my running also tanks. But luckily for canyons, I was able to get myself out the door for all my runs with some girlfriends and whatnot. Um, but I would say for races too, it's, it's joyful because you get to celebrate their success while also being able to like have your own success, but it allows for you to have almost like seasons. Like last year, for example, he trained for the scout mountain 100 and just had a phenomenal build up to that and a great race. Um, and it was just so fun celebrating him there. And then the next week, I think I ran squaw peak 50 here in Utah and then he had a great race there. So everybody was like, Oh my God, it was so amazing watching you last weekend. So it was the community around it and being able to just celebrate each other's successes because it lets you focus a lot less on your own successes or your own downfalls. For example, mm -hmm. like when I had a rough day at Bandera this year, because I had Mike's next race to be stoked on, I was a lot less focused on what went wrong on my day because there's so many other positive things mm -hmm. going on in our training and then our racing that it's not just about me. It's largely about him. I think that's really exciting. And another piece I really enjoy is just your ability to crew each other yes. and know what each other needs. I don't think anybody gets me quite like he does. So it's great having him on my crew because he knows what I want when I want it. Um, except when he's taking a picture and I'm like, give me my pack, you know, <laughs> but it's uh he's the perfect crew. And I, I think having a partner in this sport, just it's, it's exciting and it brings so much more joy and makes each experience and every race experience just exponentially better. I feel like in all aspects of relationships, we compliment each other, right? We all have weaknesses. We all have strengths and hopefully the significant other, uh, you know, takes care of the weaknesses. Are there particular strengths that Mike brings to the running aspect of the relationship? And then I would ask the same of you too. Uh, yeah, a couple for sure. Um, so our friend Teresa the one time said, Mike is never not jazzed on running. And I would say like, there's often times where I'm not jazzed on running. So he brings that level of stoke and excitement to every single run yes. that like gets me out the door. So in terms of like an emotional uh, quality, that is his top one. He brings the emotional stoke always. Um, and then in terms of like physical capabilities and whatnot, he's an amazing downhill runner. Mm. He grew up playing soccer, so he's just so agile. Um, so following him on downhills has definitely brought my downhill uh, game yeah. up a notch yeah. because I don't want to get dropped. <laughs> so, and I would say, I think I've impacted him in some positive ways in terms of his racing he was never a planner or a calculated racer or even like an eater mm. in races. He did not eat. Um, so since we've been together, his, his like nutrition and his pacing and his planning has been just amazing. And he's seen just huge gains from that. So 
I think we complement each other pretty well. Who's the better crew chief? Like who crew is the other person better? <sighs> That's a good question. Oh, I make less mistakes. Ooh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but nice. we're pretty, we're both pretty good. You guys are both so dialed. Up. He's a multitasker, so that's why he makes mistakes. Yeah. Well, he's taking amazing photos at the same time. Exactly. Uh, so I, I can't take amazing photos. So he's got me on that. I just have a few miscellaneous questions here for you before we close out. This is a relatively new question that I'm asking uh, folks like yourself. And I mean this in a positive way. I don't mean this in like an accusatory way, but why do you care so much about the sport? Like you're, you, when I look at you, you're one of, and Mike too, you guys are two of the most stoked people on ultra running that I've ever met. And so, yeah, like, why are you so stoked about it? What's your why? What gets you stoked about this sport year in, year out? I like this question a lot because I feel like my answer to it has evolved a ton over the years. Um, so I first got into trail running, like, longer trail running back in my like late, my college days, I think right around when I was 19 and 20. And I actually got into trail running largely as an outlet because I was struggling with some PTSD from being sexually assaulted on a trail run Mm. in my hometown. So initially it was something that I just needed community. Like I was very nervous to get out by myself without having a community around me. So when I moved to Washington, DC after college, I just I needed a community. I knew if I wanted to keep doing something I loved, which was trail running, that I needed to find people to do it with. Otherwise, something that I loved was going to be lost. So I think initially it was largely just like almost selfish reasons. Like I didn't want to be alone. Um, But then once we moved to Utah, the community here is just incredible. I always tell people like if you're going out for a 30 mile run on the weekend, at any given point in time, you could find like at least 20 people who are down to run 30 miles with you on a Saturday in Utah. And I don't understand it, but the community is just expansive here. It's welcoming. And I had never been a part of anything quite like it until moving to Utah. Um, So then once getting into ultra running and whatnot out here, I just found this new love of community. It was less of me needing to be with people, but now just wanting to be with people and like having everybody just around you and supporting you at your race all the time on these training runs and whatnot. Um, and then these days, I don't know, it's, it's been exciting because we've been like racing a little bit more and like putting ourselves in competitive fields. And I think we've kind of come more into our own the last couple of years with it. And it's something, it's just this shared passion of ours that is a piece of our day and keeps us going. So I enjoy having goals. I enjoy um, looking forward to them and training for them. I especially love the training aspect a little bit more than racing, Um, but it keeps you motivated. And I think it brings out the best version of myself and then also my partner. And it's just, it always keeps you coming, coming back for more. There's always something new to explore. Uh, And I think Dylan Bowman has been putting it best lately when he talks about the trail culture. Trail culture. Uh, I've been at these races recently. Like we just went to Gorge and then Canyons and there's just the culture out there is amazing. And it just makes you want to put yourself in these races just to be surrounded by all these inspirational people with incredible stories, just like waiting to be heard. So I think it's evolved a lot and I really like where it's evolved to at the present day. Well, there's a lot to touch on there, but just the last thing you said about the community, I, I was just thinking about this too um, earlier this week. It's such a shame. And maybe, I, you know, I don't, I don't do as many races as other people, but like it made me this weekend made me want to race a lot more, if not just to like be around people that celebrate our sport and that are as stoked know, as we that's are. That's why we're like addicted to it this year. It's bad. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. No, great answer. Another question. Is there anything you used to strongly believe earlier in your endurance sports career that you have relatively recently changed your mind about and why? Yeah, this is a good one because it's really fresh in my mind. Um, so I used to, this is just a surface level, sorry, but I used to swear off goose in races. Um, if anybody knows me, they know I'm a big, uh, spring energy fan and I always use their gels, but I had a cold brew coffee goo at Michigan bluff at canyons and it, gave me life and continued to give me life every time I had another one on the race course, which probably was at least like 10 in the last 20 miles of the race. So I think anybody out there who's stuck to a nutrition plan, 
I think variety is the spice of life mm. and that's going to be something I apply a little bit more uh, moving forward in my next races. Okay. I also, at one point in my career, swore off goose and went down the spring energy uh, rabbit hole. But yeah, they get a bad rap. <laughs> I know. I know. But this espresso or coffee flavored one, maybe that's my, my re-entry point. Yeah. It should, probably shouldn't have been the first thing. Like You shouldn't have tried new things on race day, let alone a freaking cold brew <laughs> coffee goo. But you know what? <laughs> it worked. Any good books, movies, podcasts that you've consumed recently that uh, you think the audience might be interested in? Yeah, actually, um, not any of the things you listed, but similar. Um, we recently saw John Mulaney's new stand-up show called um, From Scratch. He was live in Salt Lake City. Oh, nice. And he is my favorite comedian and just hilarious. But he's been through a really, um, a really difficult last couple of years. And his whole show was about kind of redefining himself and reviving his life and it bringing on new purpose. So it was hilarious and my favorite thing that he's ever done, but it was also very inspirational and just like lets you know that there's always an upside, even when it seems really dark. Does that exist on Netflix at all? I know he has a couple shows. It will. I believe it's going to be a Netflix special and it's, it's just hilarious. Last question. If you could put a message on a billboard for all to see, what would it say and why? Okay. So I like, if, if you run, you look like a runner. So I think there's a lot of like misconceptions about what runner bodies look like. And like one time I even crossed a finish line in a course record time and the race director asked me like, oh man, you don't look like a runner. How much do you weigh? So I think especially for women out there who struggle with body image and like being told that they're not a runner and they don't look like a runner, I think Anybody that runs a single step, you look like a runner. Amen to that. Okay. We will make sure to link to all of your uh, social profiles in the show notes. And uh, this has been awesome. Lee. I, I can't thank you enough. As a fellow Salt Laker, of course, I'm biased, but I don't think we could have picked a better person to represent our community at Western States this June. So thank you for all the hard work you put in to get it done at Canyons and to, to be there in June. And is there anything else you want to leave the audience with before we go? I don't think so. I think I just want to thank you for everything you're doing for our sport. I think you're really elevating a lot of athletes and getting voices out there that wouldn't otherwise be heard. And it's a really exciting time to be an ultra runner. Awesome. Well, hey, I'm sure we'll do this again, maybe as soon as a little bit before Western States. And until then, I'll see you out on the trails. Yeah, can't wait. Thanks as always for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Leah. We will be back later this week with more interviews from the Canyons 100K top finishers, including Jasmine Lawther and Jared Hazen. Before we go, if you haven't done so already, please hit that subscribe button and consider leaving a rating and review wherever you listen to this podcast. It helps more trail runners discover the show. Until next time, I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and you have been listening to the Single Track Podcast.